be seated. Boy, you could just about give an invitation right there, couldn't you? I don't know about you, I am thankful that we are so blessed that when Kevin calls in sick, one hour before service, you still get that, amen? And uh, we're just blessed, amen, amen. Let me tell you what that means. That means that the church here at Hepzibah understands that it's greater than any pastor, greater than any teacher, greater than any one, two, ten people. What makes this church beautiful is all the people that make up this body. And thank you for glorifying Christ uh, and letting him be glorified in and through you. Today we are talking about uh, what many consider a difficult text. I don't know that it's difficult to, underst or to, to understand. It's probably difficult to accept. This is one of those texts that challenges us as believers and challenges us maybe if we're searching for a relationship with the Lord because some of the things that are here, uh, they, they just challenge our thinking. They challenge our logic. And when we get back to the place where we have to say to ourselves once again that I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart and I'm not going to lean on my understanding. I'm going to accept exactly what God says to be true. So I pray that as we hear this text today, that you will listen, that you will let God speak to you, that you will let God work through the questions that you're going to have as I read this and allow the truth to sink in. Because today there is a glorious truth in Romans chapter 5. As we finish this chapter today, uh, I want you to know first and foremost that this chapter is tied, and the part of this chapter is tied to what we studied last week. When we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21, he, he starts this section with therefore, meaning that, that he's tying it to what was in front of it. What we looked at last week was the fact that because we're justified in Christ, we have this great hope within us. That literally we have a joy, we have a peace, we have all of these things that we have been longing for they're only found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And literally, we come to this place that we understand that even in life's darkest moments, even in the greatest trials, even in the tribulations that we face, at the end of the day, we come out hopeful. We come out with peace. We come out with joy because of what God has done in us. And that's the context. He wasn't arguing anything last week. He was just celebrating. And now he's going to get back into the argumentation a little bit. He's making a case for this glorious gospel, this powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the text this week, I'm going to ask you today some very difficult questions. I want you to look in the mirror today because when we study the Bible, that's what God wants from us. These aren't stories about the past. These aren't things that we look for for the sake of history, but these are things that we look at for the sake of transformation, and it only begins in us when we are willing to look and to ask of ourselves some very difficult questions. When we talk about faith, let me define it for you a little bit today of what faith looks like and what it's going to take for us to walk through this text. When we're asked to ask, or when we're asked to have faith, what that means many times is that where the unexplainable is, faith is that place where the unexplainable meets the undeniable. We may not understand everything about salvation, but we don't deny for a second the power of God, the might of God, the truth of God. What he has explained so helps us get through the places 
where we struggle. It means accepting what you cannot understand based on what he's given us that we do understand. And not only are we going to look back today at what was said last week and the hope and the joy that we have because of our justification, because Christ declared us not guilty, because Christ said to us that we stand before him holy and pure and blameless because we have the righteousness of Christ, it also is going to look forward. Chapter 6 through 8, you're going to see the reality of what we deal with in this world, in this life. That though we've been justified and though Christ has made us righteous and though we have this faith and we believe and we know that he's transforming us and we know one day he's going to glorify us. In the midst of all that, we know that as long as we live life on this earth, there is this undeniable pull and tug between sin and God's glory, between death and life, that we're going to continue to struggle with grace and with sin. And so he's introducing us not just, uh, or he's not just looking back into last week's message, but he's also pointing us forward to what 6, 7, and 8 are going to be talking about. So let's take a look at this wonderful, wonderful text today. He starts in verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Now, who is that one man? Adam. Okay, this is the tale of two Adams. He says, basically, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all of man because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did gr the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For, the one, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the, man's the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law comes in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, first thing I want to say about this text 
is there is a lot of repetition that's here. There's not a lot of new material that's here. What I mean is that every verse isn't necessarily bringing us to a different fact or a different truth. What he's doing is he is rewording the same thing several times. So I want you to understand it's not as complicated as it just sounded when I read it. The other reason it sounds so difficult is because the Bible uses a lot of big words there. The word for transgression gets used right out of the gate, and it's going to be what is our, what's our first point is all about. The word transgression, understand it means to transgress the law. It's another word that we use for sin. When we think about transgression, it means that God has stated what is right and what is wrong. He's drawn the lines for us, and what he's saying is that we transgress, we overstep the bounds that God has given to us. And he says that that could occur even before there was the law, because before the law was written on paper, where was it also written? It was written on our hearts. We knew what was right and wrong. And he said even before Moses, from Adam to Moses, he said that death still reigned. Even before the law, people were still dying because they did what they knew was not right. So that's what transgression is. This word justification, if you remember, that just means God declaring us righteous. That we stand before God, and even though I'm a sinner and you are a sinner, when I stand before God, I know that he's going to say I'm not guilty. And you think, well, wait a minute. If you're a sinner, how can you be not guilty? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. He died on the cross for me, the sins that I had committed that were bringing me death, which is what this text is talking about, all of that sin was placed on Jesus. He died, he paid the debt for me, and didn't stop there. Not only did he take the debt I owed, the sin that I had committed, but it says that every righteous act that he had ever done, that was put to my account. So when I stand before God, the Bible says that I am justified because he doesn't just see me as sinless. He sees me as walking in perfection because of Christ's righteousness that was given to me. That's an amazing, amazing fact. Understanding those definitions, let's try to walk through this text a little bit and see if I can't help us understand this difficult truth that we're looking at today. Some of you go, I don't even know and I, that I see where it's difficult. You will hear in just a moment. There are three things that I want to share with you today, three truths that we need to draw out of this text that are going to make a difference in our life as we move forward. Number one, I want us to see the choice of transgression. When we talk about transgression, we have to understand that it is a choice. And when did this choice occur? When was man condemned? When did death enter the world? Most of us would want to say logically that I'm not dying because of someone else's sin. I'm dying because of mine. Well, the answer to that is yes. Both of those things are true. I want you to understand a doctrine that's very important to our Christian faith. It's called the doctrine of original sin. What that means is that mankind back in the book of Genesis, chose to sin. And once he chose to sin, that opened the door of death. And it wasn't just the one man who sinned that death came to. Death came to every man because every man after the first one that sinned, he himself would sin or herself would sin. You see, the doctrine of original sin is simply stated in what we read in this text. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. You say, why is it fair? I mean, that's the logical question that I would ask. 
So you're telling me that I'm condemned because of the choice that Adam made. You know what my answer to that is? Yes. You know why that's my answer? Because that's what the Bible just said. Now I'm going to try to help you understand it a little bit. Because when we talk about Adam being the one who sinned and his choice causing sin and death to reign in our lives, what we call that is that Adam was representative of us. If you notice, it wasn't Adam that first chose to take of that fruit and eat it, was it? Who was it? Women. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That is a joke. Do not quote me on that, even though it's on a recording. No, you know what the reality is? Though Eve sinned, you know what the truth is? It wasn't put to Eve. And it's not that we say today that all of us are children of Eve. What we are called are children of Adam because it was an issue of headship in the garden. It was to Adam. God said to Adam that he was to lead, that he had headship in his home and in his family. It was to Adam that he said to him, you can have anything and everything in this garden. You can eat of every tree. You can be blessed of everything that's here. There is one tree that I don't want you to eat of, and that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What he didn't want them to know was sin, rebellion, going their own way instead of obeying the king that made them and created them. And Adam made a choice that day when Eve brought the apple and she began to eat, or the apple, I say that, the fruit, when she began to eat of that fruit. Listen, you, you, you have to understand something, that in that moment, the sin became Adam's because he ate of it himself. He was the representative. He was the head. Headship means simply this, that we are responsible and we must give an account. And you see, it was in that moment that he should have said to his wife, listen, we're not going to eat of that tree. We know what God has spoken. We know what God has said. And God didn't just say, don't eat of the tree. What did he say? He said, the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Adam had that opportunity to stand and say, I believe God. I trust God. My faith is in what he said, not what this serpent is saying. The serpent didn't create me. The serpent isn't the Lord. This serpent isn't the one who gave us this rule. It was God himself. And I'm not going to violate what God said. And neither are you. He didn't take that opportunity. And as the head, understand the responsibility and the accountability fell to Adam. You say, well, I don't know if I like representative theology. Well, yeah, you do. We, we have representative government, don't we? Supposedly. But there is a reality that we realize that the senators, the governors, the town councils, the president, anybody that makes decisions, they're making it on our behalf and the decisions that they make become what? All of our decisions. And if they lead us to war, guess who's in war? All of us are into war and the ramifications of that war come to all of us. It's not new to the Old Testament either. The whole crux of the Old Testament was built on the idea of representative. Because when they would go to the temple and they would go and seek the covering, when they would seek the forgiveness of God, don't you remember that they would take an animal and they would say that that animal was representative of them. And so their sins would be spoken onto the animal and the death that they deserved was now put on who? The animal. This isn't new. This isn't something unheard of 
in the scriptures because it's been there all along. And I will tell you this, if you struggle with the idea that I am culpable, responsible, that I have to face the punishment of sin, which is death and all this because of Adam's sin. Listen, on one end, we say that's not fair. But let me tell you what's even more unfair. That the sinless son of God would come from heaven to earth and in his perfection live the life that we couldn't live. And he would die our death so that we could be set free. Where I may struggle and you may struggle on this idea of original sin, let me tell you what, all of us, you know what we want to receive? We want to receive that representation of Jesus Christ before the Father. Because our whole salvation depends on it. The choice of transgression was Adam's. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it well when he said the whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of the first Adam and what has happened and will yet happen because of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to go all the way back to Adam. This is where the good news of God began. You have to accept when the Bible says, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. He was representative of the human race. His sin involved the entire human race. His sin was imputed and charged to everyone born after him. Because of Adam's sin, each of us was born guilty of sin before we ever committed our first willful sin. We aren't sinners. This is why we can say as believers, we aren't sinners because, we're sin, because we sin. We sin. Why? Because we're sinners. This lays the foundation of the biblical argument that we are sinners two ways. We are sinners by nature. And we are sinners by choice. And you see, both of those are very important. Your nature drives your behavior. By nature, what do birds do? They fly. You would find it odd if Bill was out in the parking lot flapping his arms trying to fly. You say, Bill, stop doing that. That's not your nature, right? Fish, what do they do? They swim, they stay underwater, they hold their breath, they have gills. By nature, they are designed and purposed to live life underwater. You know, I don't want Kevin Rainier to go out tomorrow and say, I'm never surfacing again. It's not his nature. He's not going to behave like a fish. He's not going to go out there and try to do that because he knows within himself he can't do that. It's not his nature. Well, our nature is to sin. If you don't believe it, then look at your children. They come out like the seagulls on uh, that, that Nemo movie, right? Mine, 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 mine. I've told that story before. Teresa Dickens, man, she shocked me. She came and saw my first child at the hospital. And what a blessing. She loved us. She came out, wanted to support us with our first birth. I handed over my baby, and she said, let me hold that little sinner. I thought, what? <laughs> she was perfect. I thought, what is wrong with this woman? And then... Within the first year, I was like, yeah, she's a sinner. <laughs> We're not taught to lie, to be selfish. Those things are innate in us. If you really want to know the heart of what I believe God was doing when he was able to say in the justice of God, when he says, 
that all of us are guilty because Adam sinned. You know what God knows about us? That if each and every one of us was put in the same scenario of Adam, we would choose the same thing that Adam chose. If you hadn't noticed yet, you're selfish. So am I. If you hadn't noticed yet, you have a lack of self-control. If you hadn't noticed yet, you have tendencies to do things even though you know that they're harmful for you, right? I mean, I, 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 you know, obviously I can't say no to fruit. Put me in front of a buffet. I can't control myself. I mean, that's how we are. That's what's wrong with us. And God knew and God knows that each one of us have this bent that we would have chosen exactly the way that Adam chose because he was representative of us all. The proof that Adam's sin affected all of us is God said the wage of sin is what? And from the moment that sin entered the world, who did death come to? All mankind. Last time I looked, it's a one-to-one ratio. It's the one thing that we can count on, that unless Jesus comes back, we're going to die. It affected us all. Death was universal because of his choice. And I want you to think about the ramification. From the moment that choice was made in that garden, the door was open to every disease, every natural disaster, every painful struggle, every cancer, Every child born with a birth defect, every divorce, every rape, every war, every case of abuse, even hell itself goes back to that one choice. I always wondered, is Adam in witness protection in heaven? And I imagine everybody wants to talk to that man. Do you think that you would have done better than Adam? Do you think that you would have resisted the temptation and lived a sinless life? It's not likely. But secondly, we have this choice of transgression, 12 and and following all the way down to verse 15 is just that choice retold over and over. Through one man, sin entered the world, death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all of us choose to sin. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned exactly the same way in the offense that Adam had, But Adam was a type of him who was to come. What that means when it says that Adam was a type of the one to come, it doesn't mean that Jesus was going to be sinful, that Jesus was going to come and ruin mankind. No, what it meant was that he was going to be like Adam in the sense, just as one man brought death and judgment and condemnation, there would be an other like him who would come and live righteously. And live the life that we couldn't live. If you ever wondered why Jesus wasn't born of a man and born of Adam, why the Spirit of God put Jesus into Mary, it's very simple because the sin of Adam wasn't passed to Jesus. He was only only the second person in all of history who was born without a sin nature.
And Jesus lived an obedient life before God. And it goes on and says, if, if we see the choice of transgression with Adam and how death reigned, even before the law was given, death was reigning because man was sinning. He was doing what he knew was wrong. He was going against what God had revealed to him even before the law was given. And it comes to the second thing, the gift of grace. We have the choice of transgression that Adam made, but then it says we have this gift of grace. He goes on and says, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. He says that the gift isn't like the transgression. The second Adam isn't the same as the first Adam. The first Adam lived in disobedience. The second Adam, guess what? He would live in obedience. And because he obeyed, because he lived perfectly the life that God called him to live, remember Jesus' words were always the same. Whatever the Father tells me to say, that's what I say. Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I do. Jesus lived his life pleasing, glorifying, honoring God the Father. He loved him with his heart, mind, soul, body, strength, all of it. He loved his neighbor as himself. He literally did and lived what we could not. And because he lived the life we could not, he is able to give us life. Where Adam brought death, Jesus, the second Adam, guess what he brings? Life. Adam and Jesus are alike in that their action had implications for the whole human race. When it says that he was a type of the first Adam, that's what it means. His actions have implications for the entire human race. But I want you to see where they were different. Adam was selfish. Jesus was selfless. Jesus sacrificed. It was Adam who disobeyed God, but it was Jesus that lived his life in obedience to God. It was Adam that brought a curse, but it was Jesus who would come and die in our place. He would reverse the curse. Adam brought death, and Jesus has brought to us life. A minute ago when we were talking about the fact that we were condemned through the actions of a man who was representative for us, what we were basically saying was as our representative, he did what any of us would have done in the same situation. But now Jesus comes along and we are saved through that representative because he did for us what none of us could have done for ourselves. When you look at this text, he says to us that the gift is different than the transgression. One brought judgment. The other brought justification. That's what verse 16 says. That which came through the one who sinned, Adam... Judgment arose from that transgression, and it resulted in our condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift of Jesus, out of all that sin, grace entered in, patience entered in, mercy entered in, forgiveness entered in, 
And out of all of that sin, Christ destroyed death and the grave and sin, and he's given us victory. And now instead of being condemned, we can stand before Christ justified. That's the difference between the transgression and the gift of the first Adam and the second Adam. Now, you may ask the question, and, and I think it's a logical question. Again, this is one of those places where if you're really thinking about the ramifications of what we said and you're looking at these verses, there's an obvious question that's here. Is this text saying, does this verse mean that Adam, because of his sin, condemned us all? And now that Jesus has come, the second Adam, and lived righteously and died on the cross for our sins and purchased our salvation, does that mean that just as all men were condemned because of Adam, does that mean that all men are automatically saved because of Jesus? No. This text is not teaching universalism. I want you to look in verse 17 with me. Because if you were to look at verse 18 by itself without 17, you could come to that conclusion. Whenever you're studying the Bible, remember this. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And when something is unclear in one verse, we need to look at what the rest of Scripture says about that issue so that what is unclear in one place becomes clear in another. What may be complex and hard to understand in one place, there probably is another place in Scripture that gives us context and simplifies it and helps us to understand it. And that's true in two verses that are back to back. Because he answers the question, he says, For if by the transgression of the one in verse 17, death reigned through the one. So he says, by one, death came in and affected all of us. He turns around and says, much more. And here's the key. What are the next three words? Those who receive. Adam's sin condemned us all. Jesus' work on the cross has the potential to save us all. But the only ones who will be saved and justified are those who what? Those who receive it. That's the linchpin to this text. If you miss that, then everybody's going to leave out of here thinking, wow, Adam condemned me. Jesus, just everybody's going to be saved because of his work. That's not what it says. It says, to those who received it. Go back to even something as simple as John, or John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that what? Whosoever, Whosoever believes in him will not perish. What is, the, what is the disclaimer? It's the person that believes. It's not just whosoever, but it's whosoever believes, whosoever trusts Jesus, who believes that Jesus is the way of salvation, who trusts his life to them or to him, where they surrender and they let him be Lord of their life. By faith, they follow Jesus. Those are the ones who are saved. Those are the ones who are justified and receive what these verses are talking about. It says, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. That means that God is pouring out what we don't deserve. Instead of death, he's trying to give us life. He says, in the righteousness, the gift of righteousness that reigns through Jesus Christ. And when you get to 18, this is where you could get confused. It says, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, one act of righteousness there resulted justification to the life of all men. You see how without 17, you could come to that conclusion very easily? It's why you have to know everything that the Bible says around any given verse. 
You can make anything sound like anything. I can take a letter that you wrote, and, and you could have said, Johnny said that I hate my wife, and I could just take out of that letter, I hate my wife. You see the difference in those two things? Context, context, context. Context is king when it comes to Scripture. And you have to understand that this condemnation came to all man. The justification comes to those who will receive it. Not everyone is saved. Write this down. Faith has to lay hold of righteousness. We have to believe that Christ did what he did, and we have to choose to follow him and let him finish what he started in us. Jesus didn't just save us so that we wouldn't die. He didn't just save us so that we, we wouldn't go to a grave. He didn't just save us so that we could go to heaven one day. You have to understand the reason Jesus saved us is so that we would be transformed and we wouldn't live the life that we're living before we met him. Yes, the penalty of sin he wants to get rid of. But more than that, you know what he really wants to do? He wants to break the power of sin in your life. He doesn't want you to keep sinning so that death keeps abounding. Your sin is what's killing you. It's what's always been killing you. Your sin is what is destroying you. It's always been what's destroying you. And the process of salvation is so that you can be transformed into the image of Christ, holy and righteous and blameless. He wants to undo the curse. But there are many people that fool themselves and think, I'm in Christ. I'm believing in Christ when all the while they're not in Christ. They're not following him. They've not believed on him. They're not obeying him. They're not worshiping him. Are they being religious? Sure. The religious have always been around. But if you think all Jesus came to do was to save you from the physical death and the spiritual death in the sense of, I want to go to heaven one day, you are sadly mistaken. And it is costing you eternity. He died that you would be free from sin and from self so that you would repent and turn from the life you were living when Christ found you to now live the life that he is calling you to. I'm not saying any of us in this life reach sinless perfection, but there are many, many, many people that sit in buildings like this every single week, and they are as lost as they have ever been sitting in this room. They don't want to believe what God has to say about marriage. They don't want to believe what God has to say about sex outside of marriage. They don't want to believe what God has to say about pornography. They don't want to believe what God has to say about addiction. They don't want to believe what God has to say about the way we treat one another. They are perfectly fine asking Jesus to forgive the sin they intend to keep doing. And I'm telling you, that's not salvation. 
you haven't received what Jesus came to do yet. And so let me say the third thing. And praise God for this third thing. The gift of Christ is greater than the sin of Adam. See, that's the hope. Remember we said this is about hope. This is about joy. This is about peace. This is about us being able to rest in the midst of all the chaos that is this world. We can relax. We can have peace. We can rest. We can have hope. Why? Because we know that what Christ did is greater than what Adam did. The gift is greater than the transgression. What Paul is saying here, and I want you to hear this clearly. What Paul is saying here is very simple. He says that in this world, there are just two family lines. You see, we want to take everything in life and we want to segment it out, don't we? We want to talk about rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, uh, Asian. We divide by any way that we can, by popularity and fame. You name a way to come up with dividing men, and we've done it, right? Let me tell you the only two things that matter in mankind. This is what Paul is saying. There's only one division between men. That is whether or not, and hear me on this, there's only two family lines. You were either in the line of Adam, still condemned, still under the penalty of death, still going to have to stand before God and pay the price for your sins. You are still either under the line of Adam or you are under the line of Christ. There is no third option. There is not one other division that is going to matter in eternity. That is the only division that matters. And he is saying to us today, you have to choose. You are either one or the other. Have you noticed the most recurring word in this text this week? is the word one. The one who transgressed. The one who was the gift. The one, you notice how many times? Twelve times in nine verses, that word one is stated. In context, what it means, that word one means to be in unity with. And that's what this text is saying today to all of us. Who are you in unity with? Are you walking line step towards death and destruction with Adam? Determined to rebel, determined to live your own way, determined to be the God of your own life. When God speaks, you ignore it. When God speaks, you resist it. You sit in church time and again and you say, I'm a believer. But you never are willing to repent, turn, follow God in any real way. That is the person that one day says is going to stand before him and go, Lord, Lord. And God's going to say, I don't know you. You say you're with me. You say you're following me. But I've been over here and you've been going your own way. Doing your own thing. You never trusted me. You never believed in me. He says there is a choice to be made. We have either, either unified ourselves with Adam in his sin or we've unified ourselves with Christ in his Righteousness. What Paul is saying is that you're either under the condemnation because you're in Adam or you are justified because you are in Christ. 
And I want you to hear me today when I say that he is showing God's gracious gift of righteousness in Christ to you because it is far greater than the devastation of sin that has resulted in Adam's disobedience. And as the musicians come this morning, we had a young lady today, it was, it was Austin, he's probably thrilled to death wherever he is. You know that Austin and his family have been fostering a child, Leah. They've adopted her and they love Leah so much. She has a sister that has been in another home and Leah was visiting this week. She sat right over there on that side and you know what she did? As she was taking notes and listening to the sermon, Leah's maybe 11, 12. She looked at Austin and said, she wrote down John three sixteen, and she says, that whoever believes shall be saved. She said, I always thought that all would be saved, but Pastor Aaron is saying that not all are going to be saved. And she looked at Austin and said, I don't know that I've ever believed. What about you? Could, I mean, think about an 11-year-old saying that. And she came right up here and she received Christ this morning. Do you have that kind of honesty that you, along with that sweet little girl, could say? I don't think I believed. Not really, not in a way that changes the course of my life. Not in a way that shows that I've really repented and I'm following after God and loving him and worshiping him and serving him. See, here's what I know today. This is the good news that God through Jesus Christ has done everything. Everything, everything that you need to be saved. Some of you are sitting here today and say, well, what do I have to do? <laughs> Believe. Have faith. Take God at his word. If he says you're a sinner, confess. Agree with him. If he says, I want you to turn, believe that he means it and choose a different course of life, not thinking that you're strong enough to change, but believing that God says, I will transform you. I will give you everything you need for life and godliness because that's what he says. He says, believe I came into this world to die for your sins, to forgive you. I went to the cross and I took your place. Your sins became my sins. And my righteousness became your righteousness. And I loved you so much I died there for you. I was buried, I rose again. And I can give you life. Surrender, that's what he's asking. Stop fighting him. The last thing I want you to do is leave this place thinking... Well, you know what, Aaron, I think what I'm going to do today is I'm going to see if I can't get my life right, and then I'm going to come to Jesus. Well, I've got some horrible news. You'll never come to Jesus because you'll never be right. You'll never be righteous. You'll never undo the nature that is ruling you. You will sin just like Adam sinned, and you will keep sinning just like Adam kept sinning until the second Adam comes and changes your nature and your heart. Then, 
transformation will happen. And so I'm asking you today, will you be honest with yourself? This church is made up of two groups of people, and I'm not even going to say this church, this room, is made up of two groups of people. Those that are still in the line of Adam and those through faith believing the grace of God and the gift, receiving the gift of God have come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And they've been made whole and their lives have been changed. I can't answer that question for you. But I can tell you this. If you're doubting, you need to figure out why you're doubting. Because I can tell you this, I'm confident. Because this has nothing to do with Aaron Wallace. I'm confident because of everything Jesus did. And I know I gave him my life all those years ago. And I know that he's transformed me. I'm not the same man. I'm not everything I want to be. But I can tell you I'm nothing of what I used to be. And I'm walking with him and I'm following him and I'm worshiping him and I'm serving him and the only reason that's happening is because of what he did for me it's his power I'm confident I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt if you don't know that why be sure of whose you are Adam's or Christ's father Lord, we thank you today that we can come to you, Lord, that if there's anyone here that says, I know I'm still under sin and I, I'm still controlled by sin and I'm still rebellious. And I, I, Lord, for all my religion, there's no relationship with you. Lord, if someone here has the courage today to confess that, God, I pray that you would put them on their knees. Lord, I remember having grown up in church and coming to that realization that if I stood before you, I was condemned. I didn't serve you. I didn't love you. I wasn't following you. I went through my days never thinking of you until dad made me get in the car and go to church. And even then, I sat there blind and deaf to what you wanted for me. And then one day, you opened my eyes and I saw myself for who I really was and whose I really was. And Lord, it was in that moment that everything changed. God, if if people in this room cannot say that, if they don't know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, give them the courage that you gave to this young lady this morning. Give them the courage that you gave to me all those years ago to stop resting in religion and hoping in my own works. And God, that you would help them today to confess that I need Jesus. So Lord, give them the courage right where they are to pray. I received you in my bedroom all by myself just praying and opening my heart up to you, asking you to do in me what I couldn't accomplish. Crying out for help and salvation. And Lord, you met me there and all those jumbled words. Lord, you knew my heart and you saved me there. And Lord, I pray that would happen today that someone would call out to you and ask for forgiveness and follow you with their whole heart and believe in you. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us that may be in this room. Hold a mirror to us, Lord. Where are we in this journey? Do we live like we're forgiven and set free? 
is that nature still pulling at us so strongly that we're barely hanging on to the holiness that Christ has for us. It's probably because of what we watch. It's probably because of who we hang out with. It's probably because of our lack of devotion to the word and to prayer. There's so many things that drive us away from you. Lord, we want to clearly be seen as those who are in Christ. So Lord, where we're not, forgive us. Open our eyes to the truth about ourselves today. In Jesus' name, amen.